This Family Life News Podcast is made possible by the support of listeners like you. It's the Noon Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Coming home. Good afternoon. Welcome to the broadcast. The flag-draped caskets of three American service members killed by a drone strike in the Middle East this week arrived today at the Dover Air Force Base in Delaware. President Biden is there to meet the grieving families and take part in the dignified transfer of their remains. Those soldiers were based out of Georgia. They died in an Iran-backed terror attack Sunday on their outpost in Jordan. Forty others were injured. Missouri Senator Josh Howley says it's time for the president to get tough on Iran. Frankly, this administration's helped them economically. We've got to reverse that. Iran has got to be isolated. We've got to also build up our Gulf state partners in Israel to be able to withstand Iran and keep them in their box. Iranian-backed Houthis in Yemen vow to continue attacks on ships in the Red Sea so long as Israel continues its war in Gaza. Correspondent David Martin says so far, our naval strategy is not working. To succeed in this mission, the U.S. Navy has to do more than just defend the Red Sea. It has to suppress the fire coming out of Yemen. He says until our defense turns into offense, commercial and military ships will not be safe. Good news on the jobs front today. Employers added 353,000 jobs to their payrolls in January. That's twice what Wall Street was expecting. The unemployment rate for January remained unchanged at 3.7%. Several are dead after a small plane crashed into a mobile home park in Clear Water, Florida last night. It happened just a few miles from the airport. I'm losing engine. They went down hard. The fiery crash happened around 7 p.m. last night. I can confirm that we have several fatalities, both from the aircraft and within the mobile home. The small plane striking one home directly. The blaze causing fire damage to at least three other homes nearby. The pilot of the plane, a Beechcraft Bonanza V-35, reported engine failure shortly before the crash. Is there anybody else in this house? No, I Neighbor Rick Runner was at the scene minutes after the crash, taking this video of the blaze. Even after the fire was out, you really couldn't even tell that there was a plane in there. Everything was just gone. Investigators on the ground now working around the clock to get to victims and determine what went wrong. Correspondent Marissa Parra in Clearwater, Florida today. The atmospheric river is alive and well in rain-soaked Southern California. Here's reporter Dana Griffith. Soaking rain, dropping on battered San Diego, still reeling from last week's destructive floods. More than 300 homes and families needing assistance, 65 people in evacuation shelters across the city. 30 roads closed. This is not a little flood. It's like a solid three inches of standing water. Impacts of the Pineapple Express sending tropical moisture from Hawaii to the West Coast, washing out highways and flooding vineyards. Trees and power lines down across the state. Correspondent Carter Evans continues our coverage. You know, some areas got three uh, up to five inches of rain. The ground is saturated right now. Then we're going to have a little bit of break, but not enough time for for the ground to dry out to the degree that it needs to. And then we are going to get a much bigger storm on Sunday. So the concern is, 
landslide. Parts of California have gotten as much rain in a single day as they typically get in an entire month. Some of those illegal immigrants responsible for the Times Square attack on two New York City police officers are believed to have boarded a bus for California. They were let loose by Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg after assaulting the cops last weekend. Patrick Hendry is president of the NYPD Benevolent Association. Why did these four individuals be released on their own recognizance? Why aren't they in jail right now? They brutally attacked a New York City police officer and a lieutenant. Our criminal justice system is upside down. The suspects were captured on video making obscene gestures to TV crews after they were released. The officers were kicked and punched by a mob of migrants on Saturday. The U.S. Senate could vote next week on a bipartisan immigration bill. Oklahoma Senator James Langford says there's a lot of misinformation about what's contained in the package. There's lots of things that are out there that are just patently false. For instance, this ongoing thing that this allows 5,000 people in a day every day and checks them in. There's no way that's in the bill. Number one, I would never agree to that. North Dakota Senator Kevin Kramer. I, like everybody else, really am anxious to see the actual text of the bill because in something as complicated as immigration, every word matters. What I worry the most about in this is that Chuck Schumer is going to rush to a vote and that will absolutely blow up any confidence people have in the process itself. Speaker Mike Johnson says the bill is dead on arrival in the House. Dramatic testimony Thursday from a Michigan mother whose son killed four students at his high school. Jennifer Crumbly denies she played a role in the 2021 shooting. As a parent, you spend your whole your whole life trying to protect your, your child from other dangers. Um, you never... You never would think you have to protect your child from harming somebody else. Crumbly told the jury she wishes her son would have killed his parents instead of his classmates. My child killed other people. I wish he would have killed us instead. Crumbly's husband bought the gun used in the attack just four days prior to the massacre. Both face involuntary manslaughter charges. Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg denying reports that link mental health issues with social media use. Here's what he told a Senate panel this week. Mental health is a complex issue, and the existing body of scientific work has not shown a causal link between using social media and young people having worse mental health outcomes. Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton disagrees. If you look at the prevalence of mental health challenges with America's youth, it spikes about 10 or 12 years ago. And what happened 10 or 12 years ago, you had the widespread adoption of smartphones and the explosion of social media among America's youth. A recent surge in general report shows a direct correlation between time spent on social media and mental health problems in children. Marauding monkeys have overrun a city in central Thailand. An estimated 3,500 primates are on the prowl in Lapuri, a city of nearly a million, forcing businesses there to shut down and tourists to scatter. Experts say the pandemic exacerbated the monkey problem. Now many are attacking people on the streets there in La Puri, a citywide sterilization effort has so far not been able to remove those menacing monkeys in Far East Asia. Still to come on the noon report for a Friday, Phil says early spring, big decision at Clyde Savannah and it's your money for the taking. Good afternoon, I'm Kevin Williams, a bit gray today, but the sun will shine this weekend at times and it'll shine again for much of next week. 
I'll have forecast details coming up shortly. See you in about 10. All right, we'll see you then. Thank you, Kevin. Let's check the stories making news where you live next. A major decision is expected this afternoon involving a high-profile sexual assault case at Clyde Savannah High School in western New York. Three varsity football players there accused of assaulting a boy in a locker room last fall and then filming it. That incident caused the state-ranked team to forfeit its season. Charges against those teens could be reduced. New York's top Republicans want action soon on illegal immigration. Here's reporter Christian Marks. State Senate Republican leader Rob Ort and Assemblyman Will Barclay are requesting that the governor deploy the state's National Guard to Texas and the New York-Canadian border to stop the illegal flow of migrants into the country. They say there are more than 91,000 illegal crossings at New York's northern border in the last year. Ort and Barclay argue that although immigration reform should be dealt with on a federal level, states have a sovereign right to protect their citizens. Kristen Marks, New York. There is pushback against a recent proposal by New York Governor Kathy Hochul to speed up the closure of five prisons in the Empire State. Normally, that process takes a year, start to finish. Hochul wants to shorten that to three months. Bad idea, says Southern Tier Assemblyman Phil Palmasano. 90 days to uproot your family, to find a new home and new schools for your kids. That is unacceptable. That's a big challenge and harmful and an insult to these brave men and women who work a dangerous job to keep us safe. The governor has not yet announced which prisons are on the chopping block. The race for president is tightening in Pennsylvania. A brand new Franklin and Marshall College poll shows President Biden leading Donald Trump by just a point there, 43 to 42 percent. The survey also shows Governor Josh Shapiro with a 48 percent approval rating. That's the highest approval of any of the past four governors after one year in office. Candidates running for elected office this year would be wise to hone in on older voters. Beth Finkel with AARP. We have gone back to 2020 and over and over again, it is the 50 plus who's the most significant voter. As a matter of fact, in last year's election, 80 percent of the voters were over 50. So again, when you're looking for votes, you got to go where they are. Finkel says women voters over 50 are the most likely to cast ballots in elections. New York is getting $19 million as part of a national opioid settlement. The money is from Pill Mill Purdue Pharma's marketing firm. Those funds will go toward drug treatment and recovery programs. Governor Hochul says she is fed up with the state office that manages marijuana licenses in New York. WIVB's Tara Lynch explains why. Thousands of applications remain in the queue. Governor Hochul says there have been too many roadblocks in the Office of Cannabis Management rollout and that more needs to be done to make the application process more efficient. Last week, the Cannabis Control Board postponed a meeting after the governor's office stepped in. Hochul said the board was supposed to issue 400 new licenses, but it fell significantly short of that. That is Tara Lynch with WIVB in Buffalo. Now, opponents of marijuana legalization argue the decision to green light pot use for recreational purposes will backfire.
backfire big time in the Empire State. They're concerned about crime and public safety issues. A Pennsylvania politician is pushing for an investigation into deleted files. What's this all about? Here's Family Life's Brian Query. Pennsylvania State Representative Seth Grove has asked State Attorney General Michelle Henry to investigate a massive data loss affecting the state police and state employees' pension system, stemming from a recent IT failure that led to the loss of thousands of records. While Governor Josh Shapiro's administration has blamed it on human error, Grove says he wants to make sure there is no connection between an employee and the deleted criminal evidence files. The Shapiro administration confirmed one employee in the governor's Office of Information Technology was fired as a result of the incident, which led to the deletion of thousands of informational and evidence files. Brian Query, Family Life News. Thank you, Brian. Did you know one in seven of us U.S. have unclaimed property? Altogether, it's worth over $70 billion. That's billion with a B. Could be in the form of uncashed checks, rebates, or money from closed bank accounts. In Pennsylvania, you can visit patreasury.gov slash unclaimed property. That's patreasury.gov slash unclaimed property to see if you're owed any money. Currently, there's $4.5 billion in unclaimed property in the Commonwealth. State Treasurer Stacy Garrity says this is money that's owed to hardworking Pennsylvanians, and she wants to make sure they get it back. A record 40 to 50,000 showed up today in Punxsutawney, PA, where the world's most famous and furry weather forecaster made his yearly prediction on whether or not we'll have an early spring. Here's the call from Gobbler's Knob. What this weather did not provide is a shadow or reason to hide. Glad tidings on this Groundhog Day. An early spring is on the way. And there you have it for just the 21st time in his 138 years of predicting the weather. Punxsutawney Phil did not see his shadow, which of course in Groundhog ease means an early spring. We'll hold you to it, Phil. Let's switch gears next. Talk sports. It's the two-minute drill on Family Life. Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. Bob make it nine in a row for the New York Knicks as they came from behind to beat Indiana 109-105 at the Garden last night. Jalen Brunson led the charge with 40 points. Dante DiVincenzo chipped in with 20. In Beantown, the Celtics were taken down by the Lakers who played without both of their big guns, LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Austin Reeves stepped up in a big way, knocking down seven of 10 three-pointers and scoring 32 points. D'Angelo Russell had 16 points and 14 assists as L.A. beat the best team in the league, 114 to 105. Cleveland over Memphis, 108 to 101. And in Utah, the Philadelphia 76ers played without Joel Embiid and beat the Jazz, 127-124. Where did Philly's points come from? Tyrese Maxey, he scored a career-high 51 points. Tobias Harris added 28 as the 76ers salvaged the final game of their road trip. The win also snapped a four-game losing skid. Speaking of Philadelphia and Joel Embiid, he has a meniscus injury that will keep him out of action at least until next week. 
Doctors are weighing options over how they will treat the knee injury. Let's talk baseball. The defending American League East champs just got a whole lot better. The Baltimore Orioles swung a trade with the Milwaukee Brewers and have added Corbin Burns to their starting rotation. Burns most likely will be the ace of the Orioles pitching staff. The 2021 National League Cy Young Award winner went 10-8 last season and struck out 200 batters. That is a look at sports. Thank you, Randy Mann. And still to come on this Friday edition of the Noon Report, abortion politics in Pennsylvania, criminal justice reforms in New York, and election issues in 2024. We're talking about it on Capital Connection right after this. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. In the past decade, the idea that a person could be born in the wrong body has caused significant harm to many. Now we're learning just how much this idea, whether caught online, at school, or in a counselor's office, has preyed upon the most vulnerable populations. During our recent Breakpoint Forum, Dr. Steve Gersovich described how a growing body of research is now demonstrating that, and I quote, the disability community has been disproportionately impacted by the gender revolution. End quote. For example, according to a report by the Human Rights Campaign, perhaps the most aggressive promoter of gender ideology and so-called gender transitions, adults who identify as transgender are overrepresented in almost every category of mental illness. Not only are adults who identify as transgender more than twice as likely to have a mental disability than those who don't claim to be LGBTQ, they're almost 20% more likely to have a disability than adults claiming to be LGBTQ. B or Q, but not T. And another study on the prevalence of neurodevelopmental conditions and adults who identify as transgender confirmed that compared to the general population, adults with OCD, autism, or bipolar disorder were over five times more likely to identify as transgender. Those with ADHD were six to seven times more likely to identify as transgender. Those with depression or learning disorders were over three times more likely to claim a transgender identity. And most shockingly, those with schizophrenia were over 28 eight times more likely to identify as transgender. Young people who identify as transgender have also exhibited similarly high rates of cognitive ailments. According to one study, almost 70% of youth identifying as transgender had clinically significant anxiety. Over 55% reported clinically significant depression or self-harm, and 46% met screening criteria for PTSD. And sadly, the disproportionate impact of the gender revolution on those with disability is not something unique to the United States. At the United Kingdom's only nationally funded gender clinic, 35% of children referred, quote, exhibited moderate to severe autistic traits. Unlike in the U.S., however, that shocking statistic led to an independent investigation, which found that the clinic had failed and forced it to change its standards of care. Nothing like that has occurred in the U.S., at least not yet. And one consequence of this dereliction is that many parents here who have kids with cognitive or other disabilities and could use this help 
are unwilling to seek it, at least professionally. The existential threat by the purveyors of predatory gender ideology just keeps them away. Dr. Gersovich ended his presentation with a call to action from the church because, as he put it, and I quote, the kids who are wrestling with this stuff are extraordinarily fragile and vulnerable. Look, the church's opportunity to step into this gap for families of children with disabilities is now greater than ever. We have an incredible opportunity to follow his teaching right now in this context. As Dr. Gersovich emphasized, children who struggle to understand who they are need to be invited to belong, and they need to know who God's made them to be. Perhaps one of the best ways to deter the influence of gender ideologues is a local church that's committed to both modeling and teaching what is true. And to learn more from Dr. Gersovich, as well as Dr. Miriam Grossman about this important issue, view the entire Breakpoint Forum. It was entitled, The Real Facts About Gender Ideology. And it's now available on YouTube. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Thank you, John. Outside we go next, Kevin Williams. Here is your family life weather forecast. For this afternoon, it's cloudy. A touch of light snow and flurries, a little sprinkle here and there, but pesky light and spotty. Temperatures holding nearly steady, then dropping into the 20s tonight with an evening flurry. Tomorrow morning, cloud covered, giving way to some sunshine, the high in the 30s. And on Sunday, partly, if not mostly sunny, with high temperatures in the upper 30s to the middle 40s. All right, Kevin, thank you very much. It is Friday, folks. You've made it. Congratulations. February 2nd, this is the Noon Report on Family Life. Welcome back to another edition of Capital Connection. Fridays during the Noon Report, we give you, the listener, direct connection to what's happening in Albany and Harrisburg with the experts on the issues at the state capitals. They are, as always, Jason McGuire with New Yorkers for Constitutional Freedoms and Michael Gear at the Pennsylvania Family Institute. Well, Michael, I want to begin with you this week. Obviously, disappointing. Uh, appointment in Harrisburg over that 3-2 decision by the state Supreme Court earlier this week on abortion. A huge ruling there. Explain what the justices did and what the next move is in uh, this debate over taxpayer-funded abortions. Yeah, this is a case we've been concerned about since it was filed about five years ago by the abortion industry. Planned Parenthood and the other abortion clinics in Pennsylvania filed lawsuits seeking taxpayer funding of abortion through Medicaid and secondly, they were looking for the court to invent a constitutional right to abortion in Pennsylvania. And they sent that back to the Commonwealth Court to rerule and basically grease the skids to have taxpayer funding of abortion on demand right up through nine months. Yeah, are you confident the lower courts are going to uphold that 1985 law which bans taxpayer-funded abortions? I'm not. They have the opportunity to do that in the lower courts, but one of the things that the high court did was that they removed and said that the state legislature does not have standing to defend the law. Hmm. So that leaves it to the Shapiro administration, presumably, to defend the law upholding the ban on Medicaid abortions, and the Shapiro administration definitely will not do that. They're as pro-abortion as they come. Gotcha. All right. Uh, well, Jason, there was uh, huge rallies all week long in Albany. Uh, 
among them uh, criminal justice reform activists. Uh, we've talked about things like elder parole and clean slate legislation. What are these reforms that they are clamoring for? And with this being an election year where every single seat in the state legislature is up for grabs, what are the chances that some of these reforms will actually get adopted? Well, at the end of the day, I think these are uh, priorities by the Democratic majority that prioritize the rights of the criminal over the victim. For example, elder parole, uh, it would allow convicts that are, are in prison to, at age 55, be released early from their sentences. Well, at 55, you can still be a great danger to society, and so we do have some concerns. Do I think there are some uh, reforms that can occur in our criminal justice system? Absolutely. Um, but I just uh, cannot get over how far and how fast the Democratic majority goes to aid the criminal over the victim in this state. Michael, let's switch gears a little bit. You mentioned Governor Shapiro. He's going to be taking the wraps off his big budget address on Tuesday. What are you expecting to hear? What are you expecting not to hear from the governor? Well, it would be nice uh, for the governor to issue an apology for last year's budget debacle. It took months to complete, and he uh, reneged on a couple of promises and negotiations that he had made with the state Senate on school choice and on alternatives to abortion funding. Uh, what we expect, though, is a, a big focus on education, both in higher education with some connecting the community colleges with the state-owned universities. That would be part of it. Another thing that we expect but don't know for sure that he'll talk about is legalization of marijuana. He put that in last year's budget, never made a mention of it in his budget address, so people are kind of wondering, will that happen this time? And that's a fight we anticipate. Gotcha. And again, the, the leaky ceiling still not fixed, so they're, they're not going to have it in the in the House chamber, from what I hear. Uh, right. That must be some leak there in Harrisburg. <laughs> uh, Jason, uh, this month there is a big race downstate to fill a congressional seat that once was held by a guy named George Santos. Interesting to see, you know, don't want to read too much into the tea leaves here, but what does the Mozzie Pillip Tom Swazi contest say about voters in this 2024 presidential election? Well, we're about to find out. You know, if uh, the Republicans should emerge and be victorious in this largely suburban district, it may indicate that Long Island is still leaning Republican. Uh, if it goes with Mr. Swazi, who is a former congressman and frankly is probably the front runner in this race, mm -hmm. uh, then Republicans are going to have to pay a whole lot more attention to those suburban districts. My understanding is that Mozzie Pillip is pulling slightly below the congressman at the moment, but she seems to be surging at the right moment, and that may indicate not only uh, where voters are leaning, but how effective the campaigns will be with early voting, voting by mail, yeah. driving out their votes. We're going to see if these campaigns are up to what it takes to win races here in the Empire State. Gotcha. Again, that uh, contest February 13th, uh, downstate New York 3. We'll see how it goes. Michael, uh, speaking of elections and such, the Pennsylvania Freedom Caucus has sued Governor Shapiro over the use of executive authority when it comes to election issues. What's the issue here, and uh, do you think this uh, lawsuit has a chance? Well, the 24 legislators that are part of the lawsuit certainly believe they do, and the premise of the case is that the law puts the authority to govern elections squarely in the hands of the General Assembly, and uh, they're not only going after Josh Shapiro, but also the Biden administration in terms of executive actions that they have taken to distort Pennsylvania elections. For example, last year, uh, Governor Shapiro mandated automatic voter registration when people sign up for driver's licenses, mm -hmm. something that some lawmakers had attempted to do over 
for years in the General Assembly and failed to do. And for the executive branch to then just simply take that authority from the legislature is the reason why this lawsuit is happening. Gotcha. Well, Jason, this year is the first year that New York's going to allow public financing of political campaigns. These are small donations from individuals who live in the district that the candidate represents. Do you support the use of taxpayer dollars to fund these sorts of political campaigns? Well, yes and no. I do not support uh, public campaign financing. I am not a fan of it. However, it is the law in New York now. And so I'm not critical of candidates that are participating in the program because if they do not, they are completely going to get smoked by those that are participating. Mm. This is a situation where a small dollar donation can be matched 12 to 1 in some cases, while a candidate just can't afford to compete uh, against an opponent who's going to have 12 times their campaign cash. Yeah. What was the motivation for this law? Yeah, the thought is it will help um, lesser known or smaller candidates be able to find easier access to the ballot. The problem is they're also allowing it for incumbents. Well, there's lots of problems. They're also allowing yeah. uh, this, you know, being paid for by taxpayers, which shouldn't happen. But essentially, the incumbent will have the same rights as the opponent, and that incumbent is probably much more likely to quickly raise that cash. You're also going to see consultants that will be propping up candidates that really don't have a real shot and aren't even that interested in winning just to go ahead and get contracts. So there's a whole lot of problems with public campaign financing. Gotcha. We talk about a lot of topics on this show, Michael. Maybe the first time we've mentioned this, artificial intelligence. Uh, It's a big deal nowadays. Uh, Philadelphia Democrat Terry Kahn has introduced a bill that would ban AI in political campaigns. Is there a lot of this happening in Pennsylvania? Well, you know, if they ban artificial intelligence in campaigns, I'm not sure there'll be any intelligence left at all in campaigns. But (laughs) (laughs) leaving that aside, leaving that aside, I don't know to what extent it has happened yet in Pennsylvania. Uh, What is being talked about, especially in his legislation, is the use of deep fakes, imitating the voice of a a candidate or imitating actual visual features, physical features of someone, you know, in a campaign ad where you think that's really, let's say, President Trump or President Biden or somebody else in an ad, yeah. uh, that's what they're really going after. Not so much the use in terms of doing phone calls or other sorts of things where they're just enabling the ability to do more quickly. So I understand the reason to try to eliminate these deep fakes. Gotcha. Uh, Jason, finally you. Democrats are joining uh, more than 30 labor unions and pushing for another boost in the minimum wage. Ultimately, they want the minimum wage to go to $21.25 an hour. Uh, If adopted, uh, explain what that would do to not just small businesses, but all sorts of businesses in the Empire State. Well, I think it would crush many businesses in New York State. You know, if you think about it, $21.25 an hour for flipping a burger somewhere, whatever it might be, think about the cost that burger will have to be to offset those wages. And New Yorkers are already experiencing uh, higher prices at the grocery stores and everywhere else they're doing business these days. It's simply not sustainable. The market needs to drive these changes, uh, not government. And yet, that's essentially what we're doing is we're trying to create and inflate situations that are going to cause a lot of problems for pocketbooks across the Empire State. All right, that'll have to be the last word this week, but uh, read all about it. That's a state Supreme Court decision on abortion. Michael, you are writing about that on your website this week. Where can folks learn more? 
pafamily.org. And stay informed on all the issues in New York. You want to know more about that big race downstate to fill a vacant congressional seat? Jason, you have a great website, too. Where can folks find you? AlbanyUpdate.com. Great show, guys. Thank you very much. Capital Connection comes your way Fridays during the Noon Report or online anytime at FamilyLife.org. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. A weak front dropping through the area today, generating a little light uh, precipitation in places at times and some cloud cover. Higher pressure builds in for the weekend. That promises some sun and relative tranquility, and that serene weather scene carries us well into next week. For this afternoon, it's cloudy. A touch of light snores and flurries, a little sprinkle here and there, but pesky, light, and spotty. Temperatures holding nearly steady, then dropping into the 20s tonight with an evening flurry. Tomorrow morning, cloud cover giving way to some sunshine, the high in the 30s. And on Sunday, partly, if not mostly, sunny, with high temperatures in the upper 30s to the middle 40s. All right, thank you, Kevin. Finally at noon, we know it's Groundhog Day, of course, but there's another holiday that might uh, blow up big today. It's National Bubblegum Day, too. Experts say chewing gum helps you concentrate better. Humans have been chewing gum for 9,000 years, but bubblegum wasn't invented until 1928. National Bubblegum Day started in 2006. One of the most common ingredients in bubblegum is polyethylene, which is also used to make hula hoops, ketchup bottles, and car tires. The biggest bubble ever blown with bubblegum measured nearly two feet in diameter. Imagine that. Just because he could, somebody once stretched bubblegum to a distance of slightly higher than a three-story building. Now that's some kind of elasticity. Happy National Bubblegum Day. And that's the world we live in Friday, February 2nd. I'm Bob Price, Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report, heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this Family Life News podcast. If you've been encouraged by what you've heard, please share it with others and click the subscribe button to automatically receive future episodes. Family Life is a listener-supported ministry. Podcasts like this are made possible by your financial partnership. Find out more at familylife.org.